Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Chris Diglio. What is the one word that makes people cringe and has the potential to make a grown person cry? That word is lawyer or attorney. The comments, I'm going to sue you. You'll be hearing from my lawyer. Let's see what my lawyer has to say about this. You're going to need a lawyer. You get the point. The word lawyer can be threatening, but it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be. My sister's an attorney, so I have a lot of attorney jokes. Some she laughs at, others she doesn't think are so funny. I think they're all hysterical, but you know, we can have a difference of opinion. That's okay. The perception in the sale of a business is that a lawyer can be one of two things. They can be an advocate for the deal, or they can be a deal killer. The reality is, in the sale of a business, a lawyer is there to protect their client's best interests while working towards the end goal, getting the transaction closed. My guest today is Deborah Carmen. Deborah is the founder of the Carmen Law Firm, and she's been in practice in the state of Florida for over 32 years. And one of her firm's main emphasis is on business closings. Deborah, welcome to IBBA Insights. Thank you. Really happy to be here, Chris. And it's interesting to hear what you talk about lawyers. I mean, they say we have professional courtesy with sharks. (laughs) Well, I'm very careful about the lawyer jokes because then they come back with business broker jokes, (laughs) which I don't think any of them are funny. (laughs) No, that's very, very true. But what you said is so true, too. We like to be an advocate for our client and we like to help the deal. I always say if you have a buyer that wants to buy and a seller wants to sell, we'll figure out a creative way to make it happen. And that's one of the things we really look to do is be creative. And those are the attorneys I've always enjoyed in my career working with. Those that aren't out to prove a point, right? It's those are out to, let's see how we can get this deal done. And, and, right. and on our end, we try to save our clients as much money as we can in the billable hours that they're going to have to be paying for. But, but again, it's the attorney in a transaction just like the broker. So I'll throw us in there. We're all necessary evils, right? So we're, we all bring a lot to the table and are important to the transaction. We, we do. And I call it a team effort. So, Sometimes we work with an accountant as well. And we're all a team really to make sure that this happens and this happens in a way to protect the client. And it really makes a big yeah, difference today, to have a that, good team. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. The team is, no, that's fine. The team is extremely important. I was going to say, and today, one of the things we want to, or the main topics we want to cover are focusing on the sale of a business, whether you're a business broker, you're selling your business, you're buying a business, the things that are important. And I just want to go into several questions that I have for you. But one is, is something that comes up a lot. I'll get a client that says, whether they're selling or buying, oh, I don't need an attorney, or this is a small transaction, or, ah, you know, you could just help me. Or, so why is it important for a seller or a buyer to engage the services of an attorney? And, and what would you say to the person who thinks, hey, I'm buying or I'm selling a business, I can represent myself? 
it's an interesting concept because people always think they can do something on the internet and it's become an interesting tool to have on the internet because you can think you can do everything by yourself. What happens unfortunately is there's a lot of issues that go into buying and selling a business that people don't think about. They don't prepare their business correctly over there for a sale. They have questions that occur. It could be something as simple over there as they didn't read their lease when they entered into it and now they need help in just getting the lease assigned. So there's so many different moving parts to selling a business that people don't even conceive what is going to happen there later on down the road. And it's, it's probably next to, I'd say, probably equal to buying a house. You need to make sure you're protected. And it's interesting in Florida. In Florida, I do real estate as well. And we have situations where people say, well, I don't need an attorney. I have the title company. And again, the title company is there to make sure you have clear title, but they're not there to protect the interest of you as a seller. So it's something that you always want to do is protect your interest. You built this baby and sellers really have put a lot of time and energy into making a good baby. You want to make sure you have a good fit. If you don't have a good fit, and of course, a lot of that is what you do. You're a matchmaker, Kress, and you make that good fit. But we make sure that legally you're protected. So with that fit, you don't have to wake up two years later and realize there's a lawsuit pending because something should have been done about your non-compete or something should have been done about your lease to protect you. So you need that ad advice. You need that person on your side. And Deborah, sometimes you're just too close to the situation. And the one example I give a lot of my clients and people that I work with, but my own sister who practices business law, who is very capable of representing herself. When she mm -hmm. bought a business many years ago, her and her husband, she hired an attorney to work with them because sometimes you're so close to the situation where it's hard to separate emotion from re the reality of what you should be doing to protect yourself and to be, because it's easy to get caught up in a deal. So it's important. And so if an attorney who's capable of, ha of handling the situation themselves thinks enough to hire someone, I would think that speaks volumes to the rest of us who, like myself, who's not an attorney, that would say, you know what, May maybe I'm too close to the situation and I won't be able to see the obvious. It's good to have a little distance or a little help with the situation. I agree with you 150% and it's a very good idea to make sure you have the right attorney as well because you want someone that's a business attorney, as you mentioned, you want someone that understands what your needs are and you need to be able to talk to someone and explain exactly what you're looking to do. Are you looking to buy a job? Okay, when you sell your business, just get out of the day-to-day, -day, but you want to stay on over there. Are you looking over here to get rid of a bad lease? What are your intentions behind your sale? And when you work together with someone who understands that and is a professional with you, we can find a solution to your needs. And that's one of the things that people don't look at is they don't look at what is in front of them, as you mentioned to me, what's obvious. They get emotional. They get upset about the deal. And we're here to go ahead and be an objective third party, representing them and making sure that they understand what they're doing and leading them away. A lot of the listeners on the show are business brokers. So this next question I, if you're a business broker and you're listening, I want you to be astute. I want you to get off all the noise in the background. And I want you to hear this next question because I'm very interested in to hear the answer. And uh, Deborah, business brokers, a lot of times are put in awkward situations where they're asked legal questions by their client. And a lot of times the broker knows the answer. So they don't want to seem incompetent and not answer the question, but they also don't want to put themselves in a position where they're practicing law. What can and can a broker say to, to their client regarding specific legal questions when it comes to the transaction of a business? 
what they say is please call Deborah Carmen or <laughs> contact your business <laughs> attorney. Because the problem is once you start giving answers to legal questions, you are practicing law. And you don't ever want to be put in that position. That's why when you have a team, everybody works together. We get on a phone call. To me, the business broker is the most important person in this deal next to the client. So you want to make sure that everybody is on the same team, everybody's working toward the same goal, and we put our heads together to find a solution to an issue. And most of the time, the legal questions are, what do I do with an EIDL loan? Can I transfer that? Uh, now I'm getting questions on ERCs. I'm getting questions in, involving all new things that happened since the pandemic. And, but they're legal questions. And anything that involves a legal answer should be answered by an attorney, never by the broker. You should never put yourself in a position to do something differently than what you are trained to do and what you have the license to do, because that puts you in a very bad situation. And I've seen that happen. And I've seen most of the time business brokers are entrepreneurial. They know what to write. They write beautiful, beautiful clauses. Again, you are not to practice law because that causes an issue for you. Everything you do needs to be run by an attorney when you start dealing with legalities. And that's why that's someone that's more part of the team. No one's going to feel like you don't know the answer or can't answer it. It's a whole team effort. And that's what I always encourage. Everybody needs to know their role. And same thing with accounting, right? Someone, they may ask financial questions that pertain to very specific, maybe tax laws or something that's going to be, how is this going to look for me financially at the sale of the business? If I get X amount of dollars, how could I structure this the best for tax purposes? Probably not the question that a business broker should answer. So if you're not licensed to do so, you should probably have the team members on your team, like you said, that are, and let them perform that function of the transaction. Exactly. I know enough about accounting to be dangerous. So I always include the accountant when they start asking about purchase price allocations. They start asking questions about how is this going to impact me with a stock purchase? What do I want to do over here? Do I want to have an S corporation? Do I want to have for limited liability? Do I want to be a partnership? All these are questions that I encourage people to seek their accountant's advice, not the attorney. Tax attorney, yes. Not a tax attorney, no. So that's why I said exactly. it's so important to have a team. It really is important that everybody works together for the best interest of the client. But I've been right, doing so this so long. I'm out I there. Say I've seen people. I'm sorry. I just want to say I have seen business brokers write these wonderful addendums. And again, I encourage all our business brokers out there, please do not do that. Have the attorney write the addendums. If you want to change the date of the closing, that's fine. If you want to change the purchase price, when you start getting in specifics, you are practicing law and that will come back. It could come back and bite you. And that's not one. I don't want to see that happen. I work with a lot of business brokers. We teach business brokers and I want to make sure that everyone understands that. It, very well said. And again, even if you think, you know, and you're a business broker. And so at that point, then pick up the phone or shoot an email, talk to the attorney, say, hey, they need an addendum for this. Again, don't, you don't want to tell the attorney how to do their job, and you don't want them to tell you how to do your job, but you can collaborate on things at times. But again, everyone know their role in the transaction, and a business broker, we want to facilitate the transaction, keep things moving forward, and letting the people in the right spots do their job. And so now we're looking at a seller. They're listening to the show right now, and they're thinking about selling the business. And a lot of times on these episodes of IBBA Insights, we talk about people preparing their business for sale. And most of the time that conversation is focused on the financial condition of the business or the operations of the business. But from a legal perspective, what can someone do to prepare 
their business for sale? The first thing they can do, Chris, is to make sure they understand what is out there as far as uniform commercial code liens. What people don't realize is when they take a line of credit, when they take an EIDL loan, all these come with a lien. And that lien has to be satisfied at the time of closing because everything has to be clear. Even people in restaurants taking those dining reward cards. So if they can get a handle on where to reach those people to, uh, to get those liens removed when we go to close, that's a big step. The second part is that they have their books in order. The biggest thing I can say is be organized. If you're ready to go and you've got everything ready, we're not going to have to wait. And I'm sure that's one of the banes of existence of being a business broker is waiting for the seller to give you all the information for the due diligence. So if you know what to expect, and you can put things together. That's a huge difference there. Family members, people are going to have to sign restrictive covenants. So a lot of times a family member is an owner. Is that family member going to have an issue? What are they willing or not willing to do as far as to put down on a restrictive covenant? You know, just have to look to see what your goals are and see what you need to do. Do you want looking for a contract where you're going to be able to be in the business for another four or five years as an employee, as a consultant? What are you looking to do is really the primary part. And even in a non-compete, we see carve outs all the time because you're going to keep one aspect of the business. I had a landscape business where they were keeping the normal landscape business, but they also had a pest control part they were selling. There's all different parts to what you can and can't do, and you need to sit down and figure out what you want to do ahead of time so you don't have that hiccup when that buyer is there, because that's the worst thing, period, for the buyer to start discovering. You've got lawsuits out the kazoo. You've got liens out the kazoo. I mean, I'll go on there. I'll find 24, 28 liens. It's a problem. If you have vehicles, make sure you have the vehicle titles. If you don't have the paper titles, a lot of times people want paper titles. Make sure you get the electronic title made into a paper title, particularly if a lender is going to take that as a lien on an SBA loan. So there's a lot of different things for you to look at and start compiling. And I'm sure you talk to them about that when you take the listing. Yeah, that's a lot of pre-diligence items. And there are a lot of brokers out there that say, I don't want to deal with that until I have to. But the problem is, like you said, Deborah, a lot of these things can pop up. And if you wait until a couple of days before closing and the closing docs are being drawn up and reviewed, and now all of a sudden there's a search being done or or you tell the client, hey, you need to bring the titles of the vehicles to the closing. So, well, I don't have those. Now all these little right. things that don't seem that important can delay the closing. And as we all know, Time is not our friend and delays certainly are, are never a good thing. No, and especially if we're dealing with financing with a lender, we want to make sure we have all that ready to go because otherwise I can't get in the queue to get closed. So I, I think the best thing to do is really for someone to sit down when they go through their business and see what they need to do about employees as well, about leases. Sometimes people have not taken and exercised their option. That always scares me. They missed the time to exercise the lease option. Now I don't have a lease option. So I have to figure out what can I do here to get these people a new lease. So there's a lot of things that occur because when people run a business on a daily basis, they forget things. And it's just normal because so many things are going on. They don't look at this on a, and say, do I need to make sure I have five years left on my lease? Do I only have six months left? Did I exercise that option? How's the landlord? People that have a great relationship with the landlord are always pleasing to hear, but more than that, people don't know their landlord or the building got sold. So all these become issues you have to start thinking about and, and seeing what we need to do here. And we talked about preparing the business for sale, and now 
the business is for sale and you're going through the sale process and you might even be under contract going through a due diligence. One of the big things or fears of a business owner through the process is how do I protect my intellectual property or trade secrets during the sale process? And I'd love to hear your opinion on that. People need to have an NDA signed. Now, I know you have one, I'm sure. And what that does is it protects your confidentiality because the biggest problem you have in the seller business, it's not like selling a house where you might put a sign up out your door. You want to make sure it's confidential and kept confidential. You don't want employees leaving. You don't want anyone of your competitors know that you're for sale and you're having a weak, they sense a weakness in that sense or anything, period. What you want to do is make sure everything is kept confidential. When you have a properly drawn up NDA, you're going to have people seeing this information that not only is it protected, but also it's the right people. So you're going to specify who can see it and who cannot. And that's going to be a big change for, for people who generally don't know what they're doing, don't go through a business broker, and all of a sudden go ahead and give all the information to a buyer without realizing they don't have any protection. And I see signs over here, I won't name, there's one particular individual who sells businesses over here in Boca Raton, and he puts a sign up in the actual business location. So <laughs> I'm always amazed, but it, but that's not what we all want to do. We all want to make sure everything is kept under wraps. Again, we don't want any problems with employees. We don't even tell landlords until financial due diligence is done because we don't want to even go in that direction. And then even still, I, it was interesting. I had a very huge M&A deal and they didn't want the landlord to know till really the day of the closing because the landlord knew all the employees and knew everybody in there. So you just have to think about what you're looking at and make sure you're protected. Yeah, that's a funny story about the sign from the business broker. I often, when I first got into business brokerage 25 years ago, I wanted to be creative and I came up with this business card, which I never used, but I came up with the idea. I said, everybody wants you to know, everyone wants people to know who they are. But when you walk into a business, the last thing you want everyone to see is, hey, that's the guy that sells businesses. So I thought about creating a business card. And, and in real estate, realtors are known for having their picture plastered all over everything, their business yeah. cards, their ads. Yeah. So I wanted to create the little box where the picture would go, just a shaded out face where you couldn't see who I was. And underneath it, that's how much I believe in confidentiality. You know, I never did it, though. I was I thought maybe a little too corny or, but it makes a point though. So now we're talking about the fear of things could happen. So when we're talking about selling a business, what are some potential liability or risks that maybe we haven't talked about that, that a seller should be aware of when selling their business? Well, let's talk about, let's keep on due diligence for a second. And let's talk about on-site due diligence. I get a lot of contracts where people want to go on-site. That always causes me issues and a little bit of heartburn because I worry what they're going to say or do when they're on site over there. Same thing happens to me when I have a situation with real estate being sold as part of the, the business. We're selling also the real property and surveyors come on board. Everybody likes to talk. So you want to be very careful there. And if you're going to allow anybody onto your business, you're going to have to really kind of what you said, have a plan on what you're telling people. Are these insurance people coming in to look? What do we have over here? Because the last thing you want to do is let people know my business is for sale. And some of the liabilities or risk when you sell a business happen to be that you have these liens we discussed before that you haven't satisfied 
Maybe you're not aware of what liens are even out there. And some of the problems also are ownership. I had one restaurant years ago, and we did a stock sale. And it turns out that a doctor had invested in the business about 15 years ago, and he had to be satisfied. Well, no one knew where he was anymore. He's still listed in the stocks. He's a, he's a crucial player. Um, so all these things have to be brought to surface. And sometimes people to this point really don't even know who owns the business. You really have to think about that aspect of it as well. You want to make sure if there are trademarks that are going to be transferred, everything is done properly. And the risks and liabilities come about with these lease assignments, because many times you're not going to be allowed to be removed as a guarantor in a lease assignment. So how are you going to handle that? If you have counsel, counsel will speak, of course, to the landlord and see what we can do about mitigating this. Sometimes you can buy out of your guarantee in a lease assignment. So there's a lot of different ways to look at things, and these are liabilities and risks that come up. And mostly the liabilities and risks that come up over here regard things that you've done in the past. The pandemic really let some interesting things happen with these PPP loans. Most of the times now they're forgiven, but also we have these EIDL loans. And I just want to talk about them for a second. People, sellers, you cannot keep your EIDL loan when you sell this business. Their interest rate is so attractive. It's 3.75%. Everybody wants to keep it. People did additions to homes. <laughs> I can't tell you what people did with it. It's all supposed to be for business. And it's an SBA loan. It's the government. It needs to be paid off or assumed by the buyer at the time of closing. So we need to give proper advice there. Now people are starting with this ERC, this employee retention credit, and that's becoming a little bit of a nightmare. So things that were actually done to help people, grants, restaurants, everything, period, you kind of have to look at and say, well, yes, I took the money and now I have to have it repaid or forgiven. So things to look at when you're going to sell and those are legal implications. So you have to really be aware of what you did, not just now, but the, this, during this pandemic time when everybody was really stressed out. Now, Deborah, throughout the years and the many, many, many transactions you've been involved with on the sale of a business, whether it be working with the buyer or the seller, I'm sure there are some common things that come up during the contract stage of preparing the closing documents that buyer and seller tend to argue, negotiate, or are uh, important to both of them that become potential deal killers in a deal, if not handled properly. Are there certain things that you see pop up more often than not that are more common that a buyer and seller should both be aware of going into it, that this is probably going to be a point of contention at some point? One of the biggest issues is going to be the non-compete. The non-compete, non-solicit, People tend to want to keep parts of the business. They want to tend to be a worker, maybe not an owner. So all this needs to be adjusted and understood really when taking the listing so that it's presented. So you're not caught in a situation where you didn't know about a family member or a problem. These seem to be the biggest deals over here where the non-competes, non-solicits. Also employees. Certain businesses, and I don't want to say what they are, have employees paid under the table or paid a certain way. And you got to be very careful when you sell that business because you can pass that liability on to a buyer. The buyer has to look at this and you have to really see who your buyer is. Is this a Main Street deal? Is this an M&A deal? What's the level of risk a buyer wants to take? So you just have to clean up your act to some extent before you sell the business if you know that you're looking for a certain type of buyer. 
And I find that people do this all the time with employees and they just don't do the payment correctly. Same thing over here with employees that are key employees. Most of the time, I don't allow a deal to be contingent upon a key employee being employed by the buyer, but there are some times when it's inevitable and it's going to happen. So these become issues with the buyer and seller. Other issues involve the lease, as I mentioned to you, because, of course, if you have an SBA loan, you need a term of up to 10 years, whether it's a five and five or whether it's one-year terms and you have nine options to renew. All that has to be in place so that your buyer can walk in and take their SBA loan. So those become issues where buyer takes a look there and decides what they want to do. The legalities of what I deal with are more representations and warranties. What are you saying that you're going to agree to uh, seller for your business? Financially, what are you agreeing to? And those become things that I have to look at. And that's my situation to cap those or cap the amount of time they're left open. But those are all legalities. Uh, other issues become over here when you have problems with sales tax because sales tax follows the buyer in the state of Florida. And if you have a seller who's not paid his sales tax correctly, <clears throat> this is going to be an issue. We see that many times in restaurants. We see that in bakeries. We, there are our normal two or three sets of books. So <clears throat> these are things that buyer and seller argue over on a regular basis. All, all great things to look at. And one of the things that gets overlooked sometimes is the transition of the business. A seller goes into yeah. it thinking, well, I sold my business. I'm off to Hawaii. I'm in the retirement zone and I never have to worry about this again. And pre-closing, they let a lot of things slide that uh, are detrimental to the business, but aren't found out until after the closing because they retired a little too soon. Well, then after closing, they go away and they don't help transition properly. And now all of a sudden, a great day, the sale of a business, months later, you're looking at the new owner suing the old owner. So what, how could, what can we do to ensure a smooth transition of ownership and minimize any post-sale disputes or challenges? A keep open communications is the best thing I can suggest. And a lot of times they're still going to involve you after the closing because you became kind of a mediator in that sense and, be, and able to talk to both parties. And open communication lines are key. The fact is that I have buyers over here and the buyers are going out of the country as soon as they purchase. So it's a really interesting thing over here to figure out who's staying around. Is the seller going to stay afterwards to run the business for the buyer? Is the seller just going to transition him or other family members coming into transition? But the smoothest thing you can do is to keep a buyer happy after you sell your business. Because if buyer has questions and buyer has unanswered questions, buyer gets nervous. At that point, I get a phone call. <clears throat> and, they, and at that point, I get a call from the attorney and then they say, gee, you know, your seller left. They were supposed to work here for 90 days post-closing. They left after the first 20 days or they never showed up. And now there's a problem with the business. So you always want to make sure that you have a very smooth transition. And one of the ways people do that is they actually will have you do a seller note. And the seller note is kept there so that you will do the transition and training that you promised them. And that's why buyers like to have these notes. It makes you a partner. But I always say whether you're doing a cash deal or you're doing a deal where there is involving a note, you want to make sure <clears throat> that, you know, that you have answered their questions, that you've introduced them to all the people they need to be introduced to, and then they can run this business smoothly. And Absolutely I think right. sellers need to be aware more. that – no, I was going to say I think sellers need to be aware 
that even if it is a cash transaction, that doesn't mean they're getting all their cash at closing. Because if the buyer is represented properly, I guarantee you there's going to be some kind of provision or holdback or setback or escrowed money for a period of time. Exactly. Exactly. We always have an escrow holdback, not only for indemnification, but also for retention of transition. Because if you don't have the proper training, you really got people that don't know what they're doing and they're walking into a business, they're going to fail. And that's really key. Um, Sometimes we have situations as well where they have them train other employees for the business because it is going to be absentee ownership. And many times what happens, I don't really care for this, but sometimes even before closing, we'll have a transition team come in there and do what they need to do prior to closing. So when they walk in that open that door, everything is ready for business. But what you're saying is 100% key. Even if it's a cash situation, there's going to be an escrow holdback. And that escrow holdback, we do not want disputes based on the fact that you never showed up. Now, let me tell you what happens a lot of times. A lot of times people will come into a business, they'll ask to help, and they're told, get out of here. And the buyer's ego takes over. Whatever it is, period, they kick the seller out. If they kick you out as a seller, make sure you have it in writing because that happens all the time. And then they'll come back if there's another issue and say, you never trained me. So everything has to be in writing if you're going to have post-transition work and they're going to allow you to end it early. I have that conversation with sellers all the time. I said during the negotiations, I tell them, look, I know they're asking you for four weeks of a transition. And in this industry, one or two weeks is probably the norm. But you know what? Is it really that big of a deal? Give them the four weeks. More more times than not, you never make it to the four weeks. Sometimes you do, but a lot of times I see that, Deborah. They just, by the second or third week, they're like, you know what? You don't really need to come in anymore. And I always tell them, get that in writing. And most of the time it's exactly. because the new owner's there and they don't need the employees going to, who do I go to? Who's really in charge? So a seller, a buyer wants the confidence to know that, but more often than not, you'll see the buyer go to that seller the new owner, go to the old owner and say, you know what? I really don't need you to come in anymore. Exactly. And what happens too, besides even getting that in writing, what you want to do is make sure while you're on site and you have a promissory note that they're running the business properly so you can ensure you're going to get paid. So I always find it a wonderful thing. Make sure you're a good partner. Yeah, that that keyword partner, because legally on paper, you might not own any of that company, but you have a note for a certain dollar amount that that you'd like to receive. So like it or not, one way or another, you're partnering with them because you want to get paid back. No, you're absolutely correct. And it's interesting too, because the most successful businesses are businesses where the seller stays on, helps the buyer, and the buyer allows them to do that. When the buyer kicks them off after the first day or says with their ego, I'm not running this business the same way the seller did it, I know there's going to be issues. Because you bought the business based on how the seller ran the business, and now you're changing everything. So employees get a little bit spooked. Everybody gets spooked. And those are the ones I know down the road I'm going to get a letter from another attorney saying there's a problem with this business. And the problem really is, buyer, you didn't listen, and you bought an ongoing business for a reason. But that happens. Good deals can go bad really quick. Mm -hmm. It does. Good deals can go bad so quickly. And we got one more thing, Deborah, I'd like to talk to you about before we wrap up this show. I've been around business since I was uh, since I was born. My father always owned businesses and I grew up and he always relied on his attorneys and his legal team to help him 
make those important decisions. But he told me something one time, and he's repeated this many times throughout the years. He said, Chris, not everything is black and white. Not everything is clear cut. Not everything is a deal killer, or does it have to be? Sometimes in the sale of a business, you're faced to make a decision and your attorney is going to give you the best possible outcome for you of what they would like to see in a contract. But sometimes you're faced with a decision where the buyer won't accept that or on the other side, the seller won't accept it, but you're faced with a business decision to say, okay, my attorney would like this and this is the best outcome, but said that we could probably live with this. At some point, you have to give yourself all the ammunition and that's the attorney giving you all the advice that you pay for where they can protect you, but sometimes you have a business decision to make. And really the only one that has to live with that business decision is you. So what do you say in a case where you tell a seller and a buyer at an impasse and the seller really wants to get the deal done and, and the advice is, look, this is the best possible thing, but this is what they're asking. You know, you're, I'd love to see this, but we can live with that. And the decision of the business owner says to you, Deborah, you know what? I want to I want to go forward with this. How do you work with your clients in a situation like that? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And the way we work with it is a business decision. At the end of the day, I can tell you exactly what I feel you should do as an attorney. But again, you have to feel when you own the business, what is best for you. So I just had that happen with a couple different deals now with promissory notes, substantial promissory notes, substantial M&A deals. And concerns because remember you are not going to have a personal guarantee when you have these these large deals and you're taking a fairly large note you're going to have them guaranteed by another company so you know obviously attorneys love personal guarantees we it's one of the things we always look in a note yeah. to have that <laughs> we always look to have security for a note sometimes I cannot get you a UCC I cannot get you a chattel mortgage to secure your note because I'm dealing with a lender that has blanket liens on this business and you're gonna take a slight risk. So if we know the parties and we know who the buyers and sellers are and the buyer's been buying for a period of time, we get, a good, we get good information about where they are and what they're doing, we feel better about it, okay? And that's a big thing here. You have to really understand who your buyer is, particularly when you have a large deal. And if you're more comfortable there, you're not going to insist upon some of the things that attorneys like to see, because we always like to see you as a seller having a personal guarantee and having collateral for having it collateralized by a UCC one and also by a chattel mortgage. So these become business decisions, things such as personal liabilities. Most of the time, buyers like the sellers to remain personally liable in a deal, because once you sell, your corporation then has no more assets but they want to be able to come back individually if there's a problem or representation warranty that was made that was incorrect or basically material. So a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to be on there personally. That's why I formed a company. But many times a business is not going to sell with that. So everything is explained. But again, it's a business decision. And if we really have buyers that want to buy, really good buyers, and we can feel that because we know them from the past, we know what their terms are, we've seen everything come back over there when everything is run on their business, and they, they have, and that's what's happening now. They're purchasing five, six, seven, eight, ten businesses for these these deals. Then we have a better feeling. They're going to keep people employed. They're going to keep people in a good situation. And many times you're faced over here with these M&A deals. Am I going to wind up basically? doing something over here where I'm going to invest my money in their new business. 
So lots of different changes, lots of different changes, even with SBA, where sellers can come back now and invest in the business. And we just explain what the risks are, but it's your decision as a seller. And it always has been, always will be. Deborah, I hate to do this because I'm enjoying this conversation so much, but we've got about a minute left, but I've got one, one more question for you. If there's someone that's out there that's a business broker or they're a buyer of a business or someone looking to sell a business, what advice do you give them in regards to working with the with an attorney or working with their attorney in a transaction? The best advice is to find someone that understands businesses and is not looking to kill the deal. I work with a lot of attorneys who are also litigators. Litigators have an interesting way, and I'm not saying they, they can't also be good business transaction attorneys, but they look at the deal a little differently than we do because they look at it, how is it going to wind up in court? Um, and a lot of times it's very difficult then to give someone the ability to, to actually purchase or sell the business. So you have to understand what they want to do, and you have to be there kind of to guide them along the way. It's almost counseling as, as well as being an attorney and giving legal advice. It's almost like I mentioned to you before about being part of a team so we can make what you want to do happen and make it so that you understand the risks, you manage the risks, but you decided you want to sell, you want to be in Hawaii. And I just had a client leave for there. That's why I say that. And he's like, nope, this is the first time I haven't had a vacation in 35 years. And I feel good about the buyer. I've trained him. I'm ready to go. And that's, that's a good feeling that you have, that you were able to make someone be able to build such a nice baby, sell their baby to someone that can run it properly. And at this point in time, they can take the fruits of their labor. Great advice. So work with an attorney and to do I it. want to go to Hawaii. Uh, you taking your time out of your schedule. And I've had the pleasure of speaking with you for on this episode and you sharing all the advice that you did. Again, for those of you out there, we've been talking with Deborah Carmen from Carmen Law Firm. Deborah, I'd like to thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you very much, Chris. And I wish everybody good luck. And if anyone has any questions or has anything that you have concerns about, you know, we are here to help. Thank you very much. Thank you. So if you're out there, and you're representing a business for sale, or you're looking to buy or sell a business, Deborah Carmen just gave you a ton of sage advice. And not just a ton of sage advice, it was free advice. So I hope you were listening. I know I was. Great advice. So if you want to hear more episodes of IBBA Insights, please go to ibba.org insights, where you can subscribe to the podcast by clicking the Apple, Android, or email icons then you'll never have to miss another episode of IBBA Insights. Well, this concludes another episode of our podcast. I look forward to being with you once again on the next episode 